Welcome everyone to Keep Hope Alive, starring yours truly, Tony Derillis. This podcast is about a genuine, authentic experience about a young man navigating the foster care system and making it to the other side, defying statistics. This podcast covers former and current foster youth, not just in New York City, but across the country. Tony shares all of what's happening in foster care to uplift and empower foster youth, foster parents, agency staff, and social workers. Keep hope alive. Until next time. You can hear me good, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. What's going on, everybody? It's your host, Keep Hope Alive, starring Tony Derillis, back here with another podcast episode and another live stream. <laughs> um, I was uh, just having a conversation earlier with Liz just about like how I was barely, uh, I, I almost thought this live stream wasn't even going to happen because uh, I was feeling a little anxious about my Wi-Fi going out and I was just praying that like, please let this, uh, let this continue on whatever path it has. Right. So I guess it was meant to be, but, uh, have a really good guest of mine, um, Liz, Liz Sutherland. I hope I said your last name. Right. You did. Okay. <laughs> First try guys. Yes. Um, graduated from Western Carolina university with degrees in computer information systems and, inf and criminal justice. She now works in Tampa and has her own blog talking about her search for her family. She was featured in the book, Growing Up in the Care of Strangers, and is the author of No Ordinary List, a book chronicling her uh, incredible life story. She is a frequent speaker for organizations such as the Women of Compassion Forum, Four Kids, and the Junior League of Tampa Bay. Ladies and gentlemen, Liz. Hi, thank you. <laughs> well said, Tony. Well said. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, of course. Um, how are you feeling today? Good. It's okay. uh, Wednesday, so we're halfway through the week. And so yes. looking forward to the next half. I hear you on that. Uh, <laughs> I've just been so, uh, I have, I work overnight as a mental health counselor. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I literally, my shift is from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., so I just got some sleep, and I woke up maybe like two hours ago, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I'm not, um, I'm not yeah, much of rough. a, yeah, I'm not much of a overnighter. Like yeah, about, you know. uh, me neither. It's, it's rough. <laughs> well, um, I'm but, glad you, know, you have me to, here yeah. today. Though. But, you know, I'm just grateful that, um. I have people that oh, we got some people coming in already. Um, but I have some. Gosh, I forgot what I was going to say. Lost my train of thought. Crap. Okay. Anyway. Um, but Liz, you have a pretty extraordinary story. I think it's really vi vital that a lot of people hear what you have to say because uh, there might be some young people listening to this podcast, whether it's tomorrow whether it's a year from now uh, or five years from now, right? There's a lot of people that are just not, don't have that hope. They're not sure how they're going to get out of their situation. And uh, I really think that your story kind of really conveys how you're able to overcome adversity, even when it's really difficult. Um, so I guess without further ado, like just to start it off, how, 
what's what's your story of getting into foster care and like what was like what was like life like before you got into care? Sure. So I am no ordinary list. Um, that's how I introduce myself because you know I, I truly believe that my story is one that's almost true extraordinary to believe. Um, but the lessons I've learned along the way and the tools that I used to help me survive uh, are ones that I, I truly believe can help people understand like the critical point we are at right now with children who are in foster care or in the system. Um, and, you know, I survived and thrived even when all the odds were pretty much stacked against me. So my journey began when I was five years old. My brother and sister and I were transported to an elderly woman's house uh, who called herself our grandmother. Um, and she severely mistreated us. And even now as an adult, like I have very little information about how I ended up in that total exist, you know, existence because it was just a nightmare. Um, but here's what I do know. Um, you know, I was born in Spain. And at the time, I didn't know my mother. Um, I still don't know my father. Um, all I know is my name. And I don't have a middle name. And all I have truly to identify my origin is a three by five piece of paper called a certificate of birth abroad. And it just states my birthday. No year, no anything. So, Well, it does state my full birthday, but there's no parent's name on it. It's like I'm, who am I um, connected to? So a man named John, we'll give him a name, uh, who called himself our father, had transported my siblings and I from Spain to America. You know, he brought us to Margaret's house, a.k.a. the grandmother, in uh, North Carolina. So I'm not sure if you've heard of Waynesville, but it's not too far from Asheville. A lot of my southern friends from from my church. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's a small okay. town. Totally yeah. has like one. You know, has maybe three to four red lights. So it's very small, quaint town. Um, nice. But he, you know, he dropped us off on her doorstep, and you know, saying only that she was our grandmother. And then, you know, he. It's like he disappeared into thin air. So. For eight years, uh, we lived in a rusty single wide trailer and we were never once hugged, nor did we know the word love. Um, Margaret, neglect, she basically ne neglected us um, and emotionally and physically abused us from day one. And I always say she truly resented us being there and she made, she made us kind of reimburse her for the price she paid using our our flesh, blood, and tears, you know, that was, mm. that it was just unreal. She um, isolated us from people uh, and from other children. So, I mean, we lived in a trailer park. And so as kids, you know, we wanted to get out there and play. Um, but she just wouldn't even let us get out and play. Um, and she even isolated us from television. So I know TV is not a big deal, but we weren't allowed to watch TV. She also denied us access to food and even went as far as to put a padlock on the refrigerator. Um, 
you know, she, she could have used a piece of scotch tape. I mean, seriously, we weren't going to disobey her, you know, but a padlock. Um, but I love this next part because, you know, we spent many weekends picking blackberries uh, from the shrubs along the side of the road. And we would always wander down the two-lane curvy mountain road with our empty milk jugs in hand. And we tried to, to pick as many gallons of blackberries as we could because we were wanting to just sell them to buy school supplies. And I, honestly, I didn't want much. You know, I just wanted pencils. I wanted a backpack, you know, a mm -hmm. notebook, something just to call my own. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just got so tired of having to ask in school to borrow these things. And for whatever reason that they just gave me a sense of normalcy, you know, like when I go to open up my locker, it just made me feel like I would fit in with the other students. But then one day when I was 13, um, I remember I was standing at the sink washing dishes um, with just the few drops of dishwashing liquid she would totally allow us to use. And I just remember I had enough, like I had enough beatings, I had enough starving, I truly had enough fear that mm -hmm. I just remember I ran out of the house and into a neighbor's and just begged um, to, to, to use the phone so that I could make that fateful call to social services. Wow. So the next day, truly while we were picking blackberries, you know, a woman from child welfare services arrived and took the three of us into foster care. Now, I totally thought that I was being saved, you know, because I, I had no idea what foster care was, but I knew it had to be better than the situation that I was currently in. Right. I actually, um, and sorry for like cutting you off here, right? But like, I did actually have some questions up until this point too, right? Because you said some really interesting, like, I, like I, I feel like this ties into like the excerpt I was reading. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that kind of stood out to me, I'm just going to like read your own quote yeah. here. Um, whereas like, I had no idea what foster care was or what was about to come, but I knew it had to be better than this horrible life we had been living. And to me, that stood out because for me as well, I, it's, it's like just listening to your story and how it's un unraveling a little bit. I thought it was really interesting how like we have different parallels mm -hmm. because for me, um, I was 14 when I had left my, my mother's place and my stepfather to uh, get out of foster care. I just ran away. <laughs> um, but I also, you know, a lot of it was neglect, uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, being told I was worthless, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. But also, like, there was just a part of me that was just like, I don't want this anymore. Like, mm -hmm. I'm so tired of being in fear. I'm so tired of not feeling loved. I'm so tired of, like, feeling like a second-class citizen, right? Wow. Um, there's something to be said, though, about... I had a discussion with this with a friend and there's I feel like there's something to be said about a young person who they just like break inside and they're just like, you know what? I need to leave out of here. And mm -hmm. we're we're hardwired, you know, to want to be with our parents or right. whatever right. our legal guardian is, whoever is raising us. But in this case, when you're 
when your reaction is so strong that you just want to leave um, <laughs> and with no sense of like reconsol reconsolation or trying to make things better, I think that's really telling. And, and <laughs> I really like, um, I just thought it was really interesting how like you didn't even know what false care was, right? Like I, I, I at least had a vague idea of what it was in some mm -hmm. of the stereotypes, but like just the sense of like, I need to get out of here and just the, I need to push forward. Like, well, this is and, so. Yeah, and like, I did it at 13. 13, you should be thinking about other things than trying to survive, you know? Like, that just, that just blows my mind that, you know, a, I didn't know really what I was doing. I just was crying out for help. And luckily there were people there um, in in the trailer park and surrounding areas that was willing to extend that help however needed. Yeah. Oh, thank you, um, Ace Thunder 234 with all I see in those black areas. Wow, already an incredible story. Thank you for that. Thank you, yes. That was that was the uh, best chapter I was, you know, <clears throat> that I had written in the book, just mm. because, you know, and I'll get more into my story, but it 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 unifies family and siblings, and every time to this day when I look at a blackberry, it it really takes me back to those days, um, wow. I, and it's crazy, yeah, um, so you know, I um entered foster care and you know instead of you know but instead the only family I knew was was torn apart so at that point my brother was taken in one direction while my sister and I went into another and I just remember that I didn't even get to hug him goodbye and the last image that I truly had of him like I just remember looking out of the back window of the car and just seeing him look back at us and just trying to figure out what's going on. You know, we had little, little to no communication. Um, and I just saw him drive away and it felt like out of my life for many, many years. So initially my sister and I, we ended up in a group home uh, where we shared a bedroom and we were used to this because we all shared the same bedroom in the trailer. Uh, so it wasn't anything new, but I just remember like we would cleave to one another and we're just so thankful to at least have each other's company uh, amongst strangers because you had a lot of strangers in the group home. Um, but after a week, child welfare services moved us um, to different foster families and then kept moving us again and again. And truthfully, after that, my life became so crazy. Um, I truly had no idea what path I would be on from one day to another. And you can certainly relate to that. It was just, you know, always had my bags packed. And I just remember like children came and went and I was just going in one foster home to another. And with that, you know, I was going in one school to another and it was just meeting and constantly meeting. Um, different caseworkers, and it truly felt like a revolving door. So suddenly, though, you know, I graduated high school um, and turned 18. 
and I like to give this timeline because it's just powerful. You know, I graduated high school on June 4th and turned 18 on June 9th. Mm-hmm. June 10th, I, you know, I was an independent adult. I had aged out of the foster care and I was on my own. So think Wait, about so, that. So, um, so in your, in your state, uh, they age you out at 18. Mm-hmm. Well, and at the time I was in North Carolina. So this mm-hmm. was many, and you know, it's different in each state. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, I had aged out. And I did have some assistance with the independent counselor for like four weeks. But then that's it. That was it. Yeah. Like I was I was truly on my own. Like luckily and so- thankfully I was very proactive that yeah. um, you know, I knew what was forthcoming and I was like, okay, you know. I'm about to be on my own, so I need to figure out what that looks like. So, and, so let's let's unpack this real quick, right? Because there there's a lot here, right? Um, let let's just focus on the idea of being by yourself, being alone and independent at the age of 18, right? Mm-hmm. Like a teenager. Mm-hmm. Because I know for me, I uh, here in New York City, uh, we age out at 21, which is Slightly better, I guess. Yeah. Oh. But even at 21, you're not in no shape to be on your right. own. Like, and, and, and here's the <laughs> thing, right? Uh, even when I got my own my own place at 22, uh, for me, I was just like, how do I even pay rent? How do I pay bills? Like, what is that, right? Um, but for me, I'm not sure if this was your experience. For me, oftentimes being independent was was emphasized as a great thing right like mm-hmm. um you hate foster care right you're going to mm-hmm. get out of foster you're finally going to leave you'll be independent this is what you always wanted right yeah and i know for me uh i i fed into it because i'm like yeah i hate foster care right mm-hmm. um so when it time when i got time to be independent and finally do things yes i was excited but I was also anxious. I was fearful. I didn't really know. I was uncertain about the future. So there was a lot of things going through my mind. I'd be curious to know, like, just what, like, just take me on that that path of just, uh, you know, how you were feeling. And, yeah. Because um, it, it's. Yeah, a, it's a, I um. Yeah. My main goal at the time was just to survive because, you know, I I didn't want to be out on the streets. I didn't want to just be staying with with just anybody. But um, it was like to, you know, I, I started learning quickly what it was like to have an apartment and a deposit and like learning you know, just the basic necessities of what that would look like. So then I set the stage for myself that when I turned 18, I knew the next day, you know, this was going to be my new home. Um, and when I exited foster care, I had, you know, I barely had the clothes on my back and I truly didn't have any furniture. You know, I had no bed. I had no friends, you know, and truly no adult to guide me. Um, and you know, I, I I I was depressed. You know, I think you're just at that point where you and I just felt so disconnected. Mm-hmm. 
And ultimately, you know, I fell in with the wrong crowd and I felt like my life just kind of spun really out of control um, because that was my outlet. I didn't know how else to adapt to my new world. Um, But, you know, something happened and I got a job. And as I began, you know, to earn money and see a future, uh, I, I, you know, I started to create new family out of, you know, when I was in my apartment, there were things that I didn't know, like just your basic necessities of like now, but what it was like to write a check, you know, and how do you complete a deposit slip? And because I was making money, I needed somewhere to put my new funds, you know, and I didn't want to carry the cash. So it was like, how do I do all this? And I just, at some point you just give up um, the fear of having to ask for help. And I just started asking for help. And I remember um, knocking on my neighbor's door. They didn't have any idea who I was, but I was just like, Hey, I need you to, I'm hoping you're willing to help me fill out this check. You know, it was things like that, that I was just starting to find myself um, relying heavily on strangers and it could have been anybody. And Mm -hmm. so I truly believe that's been my biggest contributor is just people um, helping me along the way. Wow. That's, that's heavy, right? Um, You know, the experience of having to really persevere and just have the resiliency to keep moving forward even when no one's there to support you, right? Like this Mm -hmm. isn't, for lack of better words, like a normal, uh, unique lifestyle, right? Where it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, parents there to support you and uplift you or help you out when you're down. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the situation with like you and your siblings? Because I know it was um, yeah, two of them, right? Yep, a, a brother and a sister. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah. So um, you know, when I aged out, so when I entered, you know, as I stated, I had entered foster care with my sister. Um, but as we were moving forward and bouncing from home to home. I um, was able to stay with her in a couple of the homes, but then we just kind of split. And the further they kept moving me from different counties and the furthest I kept moving in counties, the furthest I kept moving from my my sister. And ultimately we really lost touch. And, you know, in foster care, as you know, to have visits, you've got to find people that are willing to drive both of you to see each other. And so it was just kind of hard finding people to, to do that. And, you know, so life just happened for me. And at 18, you know, while I didn't know where they were, I just constantly thought about them. And what's crazy is, you know, I, you know, I put myself through community college and I put myself through university and when I discovered what college was truly like, you know, I, I looked at it so differently because I was like, oh, my gosh, this is four years of having a roof over my head and having food. And it's such a terrible way to look at it. But I was like, 
if I can make this work, it's a win-win for me. And I walked away with two degrees in my junior year in college. um, I was at a club one night with my friends and it had been eight years since the last contact with my sister. And I happened to look across the room and I spotted her. Um, And we didn't know we were at the same school together. It just kind of fate had stepped in and, you know, there she was. And I get the question all the time, like, how did you, how did you even know that was your sister? But it doesn't matter how much time passed. You just don't forget a face, you know, like there's just something about, oh my gosh, or feeling. And yeah, I mean, my senior year, we ended up moving off campus because eight years is a long time, you know, and I needed to catch up and kind of rekindle that relationship. And so, um, you know, it was just crazy that here's my sister. And so my brother, you know, I still, and by this time I had no idea where he was, you know, and I always thought about him wondering where he was. Um, But fate stepped in again several years later and um, I had an opportunity to do an internship in Washington, D.C. And I was asked to speak like in front of Congress. And it was it was it was about movement. Like if you could change one thing in your state in your state. And for me, I just remember, you know, people would say if you could change one thing, it would you know, they talk about your basic um, Medicaid or Medicare, just basic stuff. But when they called my name and I was so surprised that they called my name, they're like, if you could change one thing in your state, what would it be? And of course, all I could think about was my brother. And I just said, if I could change one thing, it would be key. It would be to keep siblings together um, if they enter foster care, because I'm still looking for my brother who I hadn't seen in 13 years. And of course, I was emotional. I was crying. Um, but then when I, I don't think they were expecting that. And so by the time I got off stage, you know, people were emotional. And so people kept coming up to me, asking me where I'm from. And when my internship wrapped and I was back home, there was a local newspaper that kind of reached out. And it's so hard putting yourself out there, you know, like the whole world's going to know about who I am and my background. But I wanted to know where my brother was. And so if I could share my story, hopefully it would reach him. And so sure enough, two weeks later, um, I get a phone call from the Florida locator and they said, we found your brother, he's in New York. And so my sister and I were on a plane the following day and we had the reunion with him at the New York airport. Whoa. So that's that's a lot, I know. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I have, I, I can't say that um, I've experienced like meeting up with my sibling. Well, I only have one uh, younger brother, but it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't been able to uh, meet up with him. But like, I know just like that feeling of like, whoa, like after so long and mm-hmm. being able to like reconnect. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's got to be a good feeling. Um, yeah. 
Would you say like you and your siblings are really close right now? Like so my sister, yes. My brother, um, I haven't talked to him in several years. Oh. Uh, I do know where he I mean, I do know where he is, like, you know, and I know that he's doing okay. Um, I do send him messages and stuff. He he doesn't respond, but I think you know, everyone needs their own time and way of healing because what happened to us is very traumatic, you know, and traumatizing and people process things so differently. And for me, I'm able to talk about it. And and I feel like this is my therapy, you know, because the thing that I want people to truly understand and, 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 you know, if you've been in foster care, if you're an orphan, if you've been adopted, people Feel like I feel like there's a barrier for them to be able to get past that. You know, all of this happened because it's their fault, and it's not anyone's fault. You, you didn't ask to be, you know, in foster care. You didn't ask to be abused. That's just the circumstances that was, you know, handed to you. And I just try to encourage people that you know you are your own person, and things that happened to you, you know, that was under not in your control. But there's things that you can control. And like for me, it was, you know what? This is, you only get one shot at life. And yes, I'm 18. I'm on my own. Um, I don't have any family. I'm an orphan. But I started looking at, I started looking at things a little differently. And I'm like, okay, but I don't have family. But that kind of could be a good thing because I get to choose who I want in my family or bubble, you know? and I get to choose what kind of life I want or I can do whatever I want when I want, you know, like it was just, it yeah. just made me change the, the thought process. And, you know, it's been quite the journey, I have to say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, that turning point of really, um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of liberation and there's a lot of freedom in knowing like, okay, I didn't necessarily get the family that I wanted, but now Mm -hmm. it's up to me to create that family Mm -hmm. that I've I've longed for, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's beautiful in itself too, right? Mm -hmm. I think um, just kind of going back to some of the systems, right? Because I know you mentioned before, like, if if given a a chance, you you would love to change uh, just having siblings keep, coming together mm-hmm. in the system, right? And I wish that was the thing for me too, because like I, once I got separated from my brother, that was it, it seemed. Yeah. But like, what are some other uh, things that you would change about the system as a whole? That oh. like, you you just like look at it and you're just like, why is this even a thing, right? Yeah, and I look at it too as like, why is it so complicated? Really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you're it's the kids it's you're looking out for you know these kids who who needs who need some guidance and someone to kind of take care of them and for me it you know having siblings stick together if they can now I get it certain homes may not have the capacity um to accommodate that but okay if that's the case then maybe you you keep the communication open and you make sure that you do whatever you can to Make sure that they stay in touch and see each other because my siblings were my family. And like when you separated us, it was you took you took away everything that I ever known, you know, 
Um, and like for you, I'm sure like at 14, you know, that was your brother. It is your brother, right? Yeah. Like I'm sure you, cause you guys experienced the same thing and you relied on each other. And when you don't have that s- support system, it's like, well, what do I do now? You know, the other thing is um, I noticed, you know, the amount of caseworkers and caseloads that a caseworker has. And I know like if there was a way to change, you know, so that we, if there was a way to change that where it freed up enough time so that they could really focus on the, the kids they have um, and where you had just one or two caseworkers, like consistency was and stability for me was key. Like when you had so many people coming in and out of your life, it just was so hard for me to stabilize, you know? And I feel like if I had a caseworker that was with me, and it's kind of hard to say that now because, you know, their, you know, their journeys change and stuff, but have somebody that truly understood me and understood my wants and needs to be able to support me the way that I needed to be supported, you know? Um, I would try to figure out a way to change, to change that, you know, I would try to figure out certain ways to change some of the laws. And while it's different states, there's got to be some kind of consistency across all states somehow. Um, I know it's not, it's the system, you know, it's just, and I I don't want to say it's broken um, because honestly, if I didn't have that system, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, you know, and I'm very thankful and fortunate that I had somebody there to help me because my outcome could have been a lot different than this. Uh Oh, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry, I was oh, muted. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what just happened? Uh, sorry, there was a lot of background noise. So No, that's okay. I didn't I like hear it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was going to say that last statement um, really stood out to me, though, because um, crap, the, the muting situation kind of like messed me up just now. You, okay. were, you were saying... Um, Sorry, you were saying about like the system, how it's, you know, is it broken? I don't think it's broken because honestly, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without foster, you know, without agencies and and the support that came with it. Because if I if I didn't have them, where would I have been? And like, you know, I was owned. My parents was the state. So if I didn't have the state you know, the good, the bad, all of it, then where would I have been, you know? So we, I think just with everything in life and in general, there's always areas of opportunities to improve on things. And in foster care, there's always areas to improve. Um, But if we didn't have it, where would, where would we truly be? And without, without foster care and the support, we need the community, you know, that's because we need the foster homes. We need, people that are going to be willing and open to support these, these kids in their community, you know? So it's, it's, and I think someone said it, it really does take a village 
to help us, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Thank you for that. Because <laughs> I just like, it, it kind of came together for me just now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was going to say the last statement about being able to like reflect on just how the foster care system changed you as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I did like a random YouTube video just about like, unpop- I think it was titled Unpopular Opinion. Mm-hmm. Why foster care was a blessing in disguise, or mm-hmm. something like that. I love that. Yeah. But it was interesting though, because to me, it takes a lot of reflective, reflective thinking to come to the conclusion. Like, okay, let's let's put this all together, right? Mm-hmm. I was in foster care, had to go through a bunch of crappy experiences. Um, probably wasn't the best overall life I could have had, right? Mm-hmm. But with, you know, finding job opportunities and being able to go to college um, and just networking and eventually mm-hmm. making a brand off it, right? Um, yeah. Like, I wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise, right? So I think, um, I think it takes a special person to, like, really reflect on it and come kind of come to grips with the fact that, like, it, yes, it wasn't acknowledging it wasn't the best experience, but also mm-hmm. it could like I got a lot out of this, right? Right. And <laughs> it's, there's there's so many resources out there that you know could could there be a better way of communicating it? Sure. You know yeah. because hindsight's twenty twenty. If I'd have known, like, you know, I'm still paying for my student loans, and I don't know why I didn't know that I could have went to school, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. There's certain things like that. And yeah. Um, it's well, just, Liz, what, what do you feel um, like when, when kind of reflecting back on some of the young people that are going through, they, they just kind of like fall through the cracks almost, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think, um, like, what do you think the organ, like age, um, foster care as a whole can do to kind of minimize that. Cause I know it's it's definitely never like I feel like the realist in me, pun intended, mm-hmm. <laughs> is um feels like it, it that truly will never like change. Like there's always gonna be the system is always gonna have people that unfortunately uh don't live up to their fullest potential. And mm-hmm. it could be most more often than not it's not it, it's circumstantial it's not something that they had control over mm-hmm. uh but i'm just curious like what do you think young people can do to kind of uh just get the supports they need and like what success can look like for them uh when there's not even an, an example for that yeah um <laughs> you know I, I, falling through the cracks i just i don't like that word that phrase because yeah I was trying to no well no but it's been used I mean it's used a lot because people you know what happens to those kids and 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 teens and I I you know this statistic and I'm you know every year twenty three thousand youth age out of the system out of foster care mm-hmm. what happens to all those all those youth you know and if you look back and don't quote me on the statistics because I haven't seen it in a while, but the juvenile justice system, 
is made up of probably 70 to 80 percent of those aged out youth. And why is that? Because they don't they didn't have the proper support mm-hmm. to be able to move forward. And while granted, a lot of it, you know, I would say 50 percent is choice. You know, we all are adults at that age. You know, you've got a choice so that you want to be successful in life. And then the other half is you don't have the tools to be able to be successful. And so luckily for me, I just had to ask for help, you know, and I think success can be for anyone if, if it's okay to ask for help. There's nothing that doesn't make you any less of a person to say, hey, I need some help here. You know, I and and again, my story and my situation is, you know, it's not. I'm not saying it's it's like that for everybody. This was my experience. And sure. for me, like, I didn't know, like I wanted to buy a car and I didn't have the credit. I didn't even know what credit looked like. I didn't know any of that. I asked, I went out on a limb and asked my hairdresser at the time if she would be my co-signer. Like who, who would think of that? And who would do that? Me? Because I didn't have anybody else and I I didn't want because I didn't have to stand in my way of of wanting or getting it, you know, Mm -hmm. and 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 you got to be prepared for the no's or the yes. And luckily she said yes. And what comes with that is being honest and being, you know, independent enough to say, okay, you're going to co-sign for me, but I'm going to make sure that I make those payments, you know, so that it doesn't fall back on her. it's just a lot of it is trying to have try to start and build your your network you know get out there and make as many connections as you can in the community learn what those resources are um because i you know i'm a people person and so i just inserted myself anywhere that i could and i think that kind of helped helped me um Mm -hmm. a little but You just can't be afraid because this is your life. And if you don't take control over it and you figure out what you want to do with it, there's there's no one else. I didn't have anybody else. I didn't have anybody else to fall back on. Mm. It's crazy to think that I was it was just me in this big world. And I was trying to make a difference, you know, so it's not easy. And I'm not going to ever say it's easy, but um, I do think that we have it in us that we can we can all be successful if we if we put our minds to it yeah because uh i i 100% agree um i was gonna say a lot of times i often feel like there's a lot of learned helplessness um and i don't i don't necessarily think it's the fault of the young person but i do Mm -hmm. often feel that um because the the um the system kind of reinforces that right mm-hmm. well the system I, and then society yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um i i do feel though I, I i see oftentimes though when i was working with a lot of young people in care um a lot of i feel like the mindset what separates is the mm-hmm. mindset of like i want to seek help and i want to seek that support and mm-hmm. the other aspect of it is like eh, the system failed me i deserve to get these resources you come to me um but but let me stop you there when you, we 
when you say this, and that's the thing is when people say the system failed me, what's then dig deeper in that. What about the system failed you? Who failed you? You know, um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's fine. Um, I was just going to say that I, I, um, I empathize with those young people mm -hmm. because like on a genuine level, because I get it. Like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to be in foster care. Um, but unfortunately, the way the world works, it's just that um, you do have to seek out those resources. Mm -hmm. You have to take initiative and kind of want more for yourself in a mm -hmm. way, right? Um, and I'm not sure if this has been your experience when working with uh, when working with your social worker when you were in care, but I know for me. Like when I show initiative, when I show like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just friendly and, you know, mm -hmm. like, hey, how's it going? Instead of like cursing them out. Right. Well, you gotta <laughs> I got to meet the results. Yeah. And, and you have to meet people where they are and you got to meet them halfway. And so, you know, I think with anything in life, you've got to at least say, hey, you know what? I did my part. Um, and hopefully people will come through um, with theirs. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, I, I haven't seen the comments. Um, he's under two, three, four. He says, uh, she came in clear on this end. Thank God I'm hearing this. Trying not to choke up. I'm a stepdad. Uh, you get me, you got me texting her right now. Wow. Aww. Thank you for sharing that. Man. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, he also says, I hope I'm coming in clear here. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, he also says, my favorite author, Andrew, oh my, uh, I'm so sorry, I'm, I, I want to say that last name wrong, <laughs> uh, an attorney for, for children's rights, especially ones who survived abusive homes. He has a, a term, family or choice in regards to having people who love you in your life. I'm going to check that out. Thank you yeah. for sharing. I really appreciate that because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I really feel like a lot of times, um, uh, there's just that lack of support and we, we need um, as much support as we can. Mm -hmm. like some young people might say like, I don't need support. I can do this by myself. Well, that's you the mentality. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like segueing a little into my own story about support and how I needed it. Uh, for me, I know um, I've mostly been smooth selling, right? Like, most things kind of came pretty, uh, I don't want to say they came easily for me, but mm -hmm. a lot of things came smoothly uh, in, the, in the sense of like getting resources, asking for help, um, and uh, likewise, just as such with those kinds mm -hmm. of things. But um, I know even for me, as someone who's had stable employment, someone who's been building up the brand for the last uh, year, and just having a healthy way of coping with life right mm -hmm. i need support <laughs> like I need, that, I need people that are gonna like hey are you all right like mm -hmm. reach out to me um people that just love and support me right mm -hmm. um so i know for me i i had a really hard time in 2019 when i had lost my job and it affected me on such a level that like I was having a mental breakdown. I was having anxiety. Um, and it was just like a really hard time for me. 
Now, before I would usually self isolate because that's that's, that's what, what I go to, right? Mm-hmm. That's like that's that's what I feel comfortable doing, right? right. Um, I just kind of like hide in the corner. Yes. Just, like, that's your coping mechanism. Yeah, that's it that's is. all you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, that provides you your own comfort. And and here's the thing that that's uh not to get too clinical or anything like that, but um. It's the maladaptive practices, right? Like that's just kind of what like kept me safe, mm-hmm. and that's like, that's my that's me on survival mode. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable here. I'm going to sleep for days on end. Please do not bother me. I'm right. comfortable. Um, it takes a lot for me personally to get outside of my comfort zone and to really actually reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm able to do that, it's like, I, I, I at least consider that to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious because I'm sure like you've kind of wrestled with this in the past or maybe even still currently where you still have things that I don't know. Uh, for instance, I'll give an example, right? I tend to eat my food extremely fast, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, there was a time in my life where if I didn't eat that food fast, it was, was going to snatch yeah. from me, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, I still struggle with that, though. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's such a, I didn't even notice it until a friend came over and he's like, that was a mm-hmm. fast. Like, I've never seen someone eat that fast. Yeah. And I, I, I was just like, eh, whatever. Like, that's just what I do. I've been doing it for, like, the mm-hmm. last 20 years. Like. I don't know any better. Um, but once I started reflecting, I was like, wow, yeah, like kind of like I've been doing this because I needed to do so. Mm-hmm. So um, really letting go of those protective factors that are like, you know, I don't need this anymore. I can let right. go. It's, it's okay to um like I, I'm not in danger anymore, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure if you relate to that, but uh, that that's kind of like you know one thing that I've noticed in my adulthood that's carried over uh, when I was a kid. And it's funny that you say that because actually for me, because when you're bouncing from home to home, uh, you never truly unpack. You know, you kind of keep your bags packed and. To this day, I've noticed that I consume a lot of bags. You know, when I entered foster care, my clothes was in a trash bag. And, you know, I think having a suitcase or all these extra bags to me gives me comfort to know that, you know, my clothes, I don't have to transport them around in trash bags anymore. I have bags, you know, I have duffel bags and stuff that helps carry my clothes anywhere I need to go if I'm going somewhere. And it's just the memory of a trash bag. And even every time I see a trash bag too, it reminds me that at one point this used to be who I was, you know? And like, I think about kids today who are going into foster care and moving from home to, you know, from placement to placement and their stuff is in a trash bag. And it's like that should not be because it to me it made me feel like I'm I'm not when you think of trash, you think you're throwing stuff away, you know, like yep. you're done with it. And I'm not a throwaway, you know, I'm not just a case file. There's a and there's a name, 
You know, I have a name. There's purpose to me. And so can't, holding on to all these bags, for what purpose other than it just gives me comfort to know that I'm not a throwaway. You know, like these bags, these duffel bags are pretty and and they're mine, you know, and so I'm here to stay. So it's yeah. kind of crazy to see stuff like that. But, um, you know, there's just and there's obviously probably more, you know. Um, I have a hard time with love mm. and and yeah. actually being called mother because not being not having parents, it's really hard for me to say the word mom and dad. And it's also hard for me because I, I don't, not that I wouldn't be a good mom. It's just for somebody to call me mom or stepmom just really makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm. So this That's is okay. me being authentic and real. No, I, I, I felt that. <laughs> I felt that. I was, uh, actually for, um, for a split second, I had to like, sit with myself because I was like, yeah, I, 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 I sometimes struggle with the same thing. I, I, I have a godmother that like I love her to bits. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a huge moment when like we started bonding and like I really just let her in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was it was something special, you know, and I think, um, you know, speaking of like things like, you know, just on the flip on the flip side, we kind of talked about cat holding on to things and not like some you know that sense of baggage or you know whatever you want to call it um but on the now on the other hand uh things that we value right so like relationships ability consistency yes right um i know for me one thing that kind of comes up is definitely the stability part right mm-hmm. um, I've been in my current apartment for the last five and a half years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means a lot to me. It means a lot that like, I'm not sure if this ever happened to you, uh, but I know for me, I've struggled a lot with having keys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a, <laughs> I, I'm so passionate about this. I have a whole episode on it. Uh, I could send it to you guys if you want. But um, pretty much the, the gist of it is that I, I've grown up most of my life without keys, right? Mm-hmm. I, like being able to get inside a home was like a big deal to, for me. So like mm-hmm. I would stay on the balcony. I would be outside. I can only imagine what this feeling would be like if uh, for a woman, right? Where it's like, uh, like, how do I get in? And like, strange yes. guys kind of like might come up to you. I don't know. Um, but at least as a guy, like that aspect wasn't something that I thought about. Mm-hmm. But it also, it was still that anxiety and fear of like, I just want to get inside my home. I just want to be able to have somewhere where I can lay my head safely. Mm-hmm. I, uh, somewhere where I can talk to someone and not feel judged, mm-hmm. right? So there's all these aspects where, like, being able to have my own place and to be able to come and go as I please, mm-hmm. huge factor for me. Something I, I mean, it, it's unviable in terms of like things I value, 
Um, and I consider this uh, my, I, hey, I live in New York City. Uh, yes, the whole shoebox apartment <laughs> thing is true. But, but it's yours. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly, right? Like it's mine. Um, and I love it. It's my sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So it, it's something I, I just hold dear. Yeah, like you hold your apartment dear to you. Um, it's crazy, but I hold name tags. And um, in my mm. book, I talk a lot about name tags mm. and, and the importance of it. But um, any events that I go to, you know, when, you know, when I used to work at Walmart and I have a whole story about Walmart. Um, I love Walmart, um, <laughs> but I, I still have my badge from when I worked at Walmart, my, you know, college days. And it's just, mm. I, I keep the, then all, I have a collection of all these badges with my name on it because it just resembles, you know what, uh, you know, I am somebody and it gives me that comfort to know that I'm wanted somewhere, you know, and I'm needed. Um, but it also shows that I've kind of uh, I've arrived. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I have a presence in this world and I don't know. I, you should see how many name tags. Why do I need to keep them? But it's just comfort to me to know that nobody can't take this away from me. You know, it's my identity. It's who I am. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just proud of it. And I think. We all should be proud of each other and help give each other, you know, grace and kindness because this world isn't an easy feat to try to get through. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I feel like, you know, just giving yourself that grace and kindness to yourself and to others really will make, you know, life a little bit easier for everybody. So, and especially, you know, for, you know, give, given, a chance to a foster kid or you know and always anytime I'm on these I'm always encouraging people to consider fostering or adopting you know mm -hmm. and like I didn't mention this but you know we all have different stories and my adoption story is I didn't know who my parents were they couldn't terminate their rights therefore I couldn't get adopted so that's why I ended up aging out mm -hmm. um but had I had a chance to be a part of finding a forever family, I would absolutely love that. Um, but I just like to encourage people that, you know, you don't have to be a foster parent. You don't have to adopt, but there's so many other ways that you can get involved, um, you know, in these kids' life um, because they are our future. And I think a lot of this and a lot of success happens, you know, from the grace of society itself. So. Because I'm a true testament. I wouldn't be where I'm at today without the help of strangers. Yeah, talk a little bit about that forever family, too, because I know what you're referring to. But for the people who who are new to this, the, to the people who might not know what you're referring to, uh, expand on that a little bit. So forever family. So it's a term that's used a lot in adoption um, because the goal is to help find a home or a family for for a foster youth or a child who is needing a family. And the term forever family means, you know, you're adopted, you've been accepted into their family. You're you're not known as just a foster kid anymore. You know, you're you're actually part of a family. Like 
You know, it's just very comforting to know that somebody out there wants you um, and wants you to be a part of their environment, of their family, and want to give you the kind of care that you deserve. And so, you know, you and foster families, I'm not going to rule out that there's foster families out there that, that, that don't do that because they are. Um, some people may be blessed to find those, you know, in my years of aging, you know, or bouncing from home to home in between 13 and 18, I was in between, in between 10 to 12 different homes. It was kind of hard for me to find that. Um, but had I had the opportunity to put my name down to say, Hey, I want to be adopted. I want to find my family that I can call my own. I would have certainly loved that. Yeah. Mm. And, and being adopted, you know, nobody's going to come and take you away. You're not going to have to have your bags packed and waiting because you don't know where your next home is. You yes. know, it's just it's giving you that bigger blanket. So I love that. Yeah, that that was <laughs> that was exactly head on. <laughs> yes. No, I appreciate that. Um, you know, speaking of like, you know, just adoption and uh, just how people you know, how that's been impactful for a lot of people. I'm kind of want to like get into some of your earlier days, right? Where like you've been through the struggle, having to um, be separated from some of your, your siblings, going from home to home. What, uh, do you feel like there's anything that you would have done differently uh, in terms of like, I don't know, uh, a certain person that you might have been kinder to or uh, maybe a, a certain trait that you would have wished you had more of uh, when you were in care? Oh, um, my mentality has always been, you know, treat people with kindness. And I'm very, I'm a very compassionate person because, you know, and I get this all the time, like, why are you so happy? You know, why do you always have a smile on your face? And it's because I choose happiness. I choose to not go down the path of negativity. Now, that's as an adult. Um, being in foster care, I kind of allowed myself to, you know, give my own self a pity party because, you know, I'm in foster care and there's nobody that wants me or, you know, you know. And with that mentality, it affected everything that I was doing in my life then. And if I could look back and just tell myself and just check in with who I was um, and always say, check in and make sure that I'm okay, because, you know, I didn't do a lot of that. Um, but I just wish, you know, I don't, I feel like I'm always kind to people. I wish that mm -hmm. I had stayed in touch more with the kids that I came across in the group homes and foster homes that I, that I shared space with, because I would have loved to just seen where they are today um, mm -hmm. and give any kind of encouragement um, that I could with them. Cause I think about them, you know, there's a lot of kids that come in and out of your life at that, at that time. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, we're all in it together. You know, this isn't, my battle we're all fighting kind of the same battle and I just you know we can go we can go win the battle when there's more of us together and so like for you you we get each other because we were in foster care we've we know what that experience is like so now I, I consider you as what you know you're in my circle you know 
Um, and we can we can understand certain things that some people that's never been in foster care or have experienced it, you know, get. And right. so, yeah, there's just. Oh, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm always, uh, you know, I'm not big on labels. And I really mm-hmm. try to encourage people that if they are a foster parent, that you don't say my foster kid list because why do you need to address that to other family members you know mm-hmm. if a kid is in your home you should give they have a name and and you shouldn't just address foster care or my adopted son or my adopted daughter i never have understood that because that just what's the need in that so um you yeah, know that, that's a stigma <laughs> that i can't wait to die out I'll yeah. just- <laughs> Labels belong on cans, you know, not on people. Because say that again, huh? Say that again. Because labels, labels belong on cans, you know, like aluminum cans or bottles. Not on, not on a human of any kind. It doesn't matter if you've been a foster kid or not. It's we all have names, and you know, you should address people as such. That's powerful. I feel like that, yo. I'm, hey, I'm get I'm get on topic too with labeling. So, <laughs> hey, I'm I'm gonna make that the quote of of, the, of this podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> that that was good. That was good. Um, no, but I hundred percent agree. Um, that's definitely been one of my pet peeves uh, mm-hmm. in care, which I have a lot. <laughs> but yeah. Um, one thing that I've kind of wrestled with as well has always been like how to navigate people who don't seem to get that um how to talk to a a young person in care right Mm -hmm. um where are your parents Mm -hmm. um or um I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you or you know just like kind of hitting me with the pity party and I'm just like listen don't make that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I'm my own person. I've been through the, the experience. Uh, sympathy, um, no, not sympathy, actually. Empathy. Empathy is much needed uh, and appreciated, but don't don't give me a pity party. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. so sorry that happened to you. Or like, ask me insensitive questions like, where are your parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that, that's always been something where um, it, it's just awkward to navigate. And <laughs> like, I don't, I think if I could give a piece of advice to people who kind of, because um, I've gotten this in a few, uh, I know you also, and this is going to be the next segue, kind of like, you know, um, business ventures and segues into that. But um, I know when I speak out at public events and I'm, I'm a speaker or someone wants me for their panel discussion, and then they ask me that afterwards, and I'm just like, I don't, I it's I don't want to I don't want to use my emotional labor to kind of unpack why that's so problematic. You mm-hmm. know that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, no. Um nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. yeah. Um and speaking of which, um just kind of like segueing into the last courts here. What um Hey, what's going on, Theo? <laughs> um, 
getting into the last bits here, what um I know you said you like you're a speaker, you've been to a few podcasts yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't your first rodeo, but like mm-hmm. explain a little more of like just what your business venture is, like what do you do exactly and how people can support. <laughs> yeah, um I am so you know, like you said, you have your brand. Um and I kind of do too with No Ordinary List. Um, you know, I have my book. I've, I've put myself out there on a broader scale and shared my story because, you know, I feel like I've made it on the other side of foster care. And so I'm hoping that my story and journey can help encourage those who are still fighting the fight, good fight. Um, and, you know, so I have my book. Um, I'm. I'm on social media. I'm always looking for opportunities to come and, you know, share my story or help encourage others. Um, I, I, I enjoy motivational speaking and um, I'm also a blogger. And I, while I have kind of neglected the blog, I'm always open for guest posts. So guest posting is just if you want to share a story or um, any ideas you know, I'm happy to share it on my blog, any experiences. Um, if you want to share your foster care story, I'm, I'm always open to connecting with fellow um, foster carers. Um, I'm a, a former foster youth. Um, I enjoy being a mentor. So I definitely, you know, if you need somebody to talk to or, you know, I'm not a professional licensed at all, but this is everything I've shared today is just my experience and what I've learned along the years. Um, and I truly believe like the book in my book, it's, it's a good guidebook because if you're looking to adopt or you're looking to foster, what does that look like? And I try to paint a, a picture for that. And also in the book, it also, um, I really admire foster parents and I, there's a chapter around foster parents and just thanking them for opening their heart and home. Because again, like I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without people being kind and sharing their space with me. So, yeah, I'm about to. Uh, sorry, guys. I'm just. I'm about to drop Liz's um, book right here. Let's see if I got it right. Uh, let me see. Oops. All right. So that's the, sorry, it's cutting off like half your face here. (laughs) But um, outside of uh, cutting off half of the lower half of Liz's face, but here's the direct link to Liz's book. Definitely check that out. Uh, It's motivational, it's inspiring. I'm personally actually going to uh, be doing a review on it and I'll definitely be giving you guys my full non-biased opinion on it. Um, just because we did the interview, I want to, uh, just because we did this podcast uh, experience, I want to do it personally where I'm just like really diving into it with fresh eyes, mm-hmm. like seeing everything that it has to offer. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, definitely check her out. I also dropped her, um, her at, uh, hashtag with uh, at no ordinary Liz. I dropped that a little bit earlier, like maybe 30 minutes ago or so. So definitely follow her on her social media. She has, she's, she's out there. 
Um, I'm on. She yeah. said about uh, not doing the blog. I actually did see a, a, a post. I think it was January 21st or something like that. <laughs> that, was the, that was a guest post. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, she's, uh, you know, she's still keeping it updated. So still keeping uh, it updated. I, I enjoy listening to other people's. Um, you know, everybody has a story or their creative writing, and I, I like showcasing all that. So, yep. if you have an idea, you know, my you can find me on all social medias at No Ordinary List. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, Pinterest. So definitely connect with me. And my email address is noordinaryliz at hotmail.com. Okay. And for for anybody who, um, like, if, if an organization is listening to this, which they, they will be pretty soon, um, who do they just email you at your um, the, the email you just uh, gave right there? And mm -hmm. they could just, like, book you for being a speaker? Or how does that? Yeah. yeah just okay, cool. easy enough. Yes. All right, sounds good. So, if you want her for a speaker and you guys like what you hear, definitely do that. And uh, yeah, this has been great. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's just a topic you can keep 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 on talking on because it. Yeah, yeah. I was I was I'm actually gonna say like, and well, now it's been a little over an hour, but I was actually gonna say this is something that I can easily see myself talking <laughs> with mm -hmm. for like well over like three, four hours, but mm -hmm. obviously have lives. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm just appreciative of you uh, coming here and just chopping it up. And uh, I think a lot of young people um, in care who are feeling discouraged, feeling beaten down, they're gonna get a lot of value from this. And that's what I wanna do is help share some encouragement and let them know that you know, they may be feeling that at the moment, but there's, you know, I, I'm your friend. You know, if, if they're looking for somebody that they can connect with, I'm here. Um, but I do believe in you and you can make it. I, I don't have anything to, to follow up with that. That was that was an excellent uh, conclusion right there. But appreciate everyone who came in for the live stream. This is on Facebook, LinkedIn and also Facebook. Um, so yeah, definitely check us out. We're going to be here every week, uh, have some new people on and for any, um, I know I definitely get a lot of former fosters coming in, uh, on like afterwards. Uh, so if you, if you're interested in collaborating with Liz, you know where to reach her on her email, but again, this is keep hope alive starring yours truly Tony Dorillis. Keep hope alive until next time. Tony Dorillis, peace. Thank Bye. you.